0: Hello, my name's Lionel Burney and this is The Cycling Podcast presents Life in the Peloton. Um, We're delighted to say that we've signed up Life in the Peloton's Mitch Docker for the 2020 season, arguably the biggest transfer of the closed season, I'd say. I can't think of a bigger one at the moment. Um, Mitch Docker, of course, professional rider with EF Education First, about to start on his 12th season in the professional ranks. And this is the fifth year of the podcast Life in the Peloton, one of our favourite cycling podcasts, other than the cycling podcast, of course. Uh, Mitch, perhaps you can explain to our listeners who may be hearing from you for the first time um, what Life in the Peloton is all about. Well, first of
1: all, I'd want to say welcome to the... Um, cycling podcast family. And also back to the Life in the Peloton listeners, I want to say welcome to the new season 2020, the fifth season of the podcast. I can't believe that, but it keeps rolling on and there's just so many more interesting people out there to talk to. And that brings me to what actually Life in the Peloton is about. My listeners already know this and they've sort of been with me along the journey along the way. And more or less what it is, is trying to explain to everyone out there what life is like in the peloton for a pro what our day-to-day life is being on the road with us talking to different people whether it's other pros whether it's staff whether it's doctors whether it's mechanics just understanding what my life is or what all of our life is like on the road as a professional cyclist
0: well your listeners will be relieved to know you won't hear too much from me but um we will introduce each uh edition of Life in the Peloton, Mitch, which will be released on roughly a fortnightly basis throughout the season. And uh, tell us who your guest was for episode one of the 2020 season. Well, episode one
1: was a really great guest. I was able to talk to my teammate, James Whelan, Jimmy Whelan, as he's called. And I thought it was really interesting talking to him this year. Last year was his first year as a Neo, Neo Pro. He's had an interesting story, came through the ranks very quickly as a cyclist. He was an ex-runner, got injured, came through the ranks in about four years, became professional at the world tour, so very, very green. And I was able to watch him from a bit of a distance last year, and I was just wondering how that really went his first year. So I thought it'd be great to catch up with him before he starts his second year, what he's learned, What were the hardships? What were the good moments? And just get his thoughts on what this season was going to bring for him.
0: And so where did you catch up with Jimmy? uh, Paint the scene of where this conversation was taking place, Mitch.
1: I was able to catch up with him just before Christmas um, in the Australian summer. He came up to my house, which was great. We sat down. We had a glass of uh, cold sparkling water, actually, at this point and um we just was a really relaxed environment he's not doing a whole big racing of summer in australia just doing the herald sun tour so he was in a nice space not too stressed it was a really sort of great atmosphere and we just sat down and just and talked out the season it was a great debrief for me and it was a great debrief for him and just sort of um, a nice preview to the season
0: Well, let's uh, hear your conversation with James Whelan then, Mitch. And you mentioned debrief. Perhaps we'll come back at the end and uh, recap the conversation.
1: Fantastic. I hope everyone enjoys it. And I look forward to bringing you a lot of great podcasts this season. Jimmy Whelan this is the first podcast of the year and I'm really happy to be back on board and especially to have you on board to preview the season talk about your last season and talk about your season coming so welcome to the podcast welcome back actually you were last year one of my first podcasts as well at the live podcast so welcome back to a non-live podcast
2: yeah it's nice to be back on the potty yeah and uh yeah day, everyone yeah. Nice. Welcome back behind the mic. It's a nice day. I'm going to jump straight into it. Let's just
1: talk about your first year. Last year was your first year as a world tour pro. And
2: straight up, how was it? Uh, it was the most stressful year of my life, but most enjoyable. Right. Uh, yeah, went through about every emotion possible. New, found new emotions that didn't exist. But uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a blast. A lot changed with my life. I had to get used to a lot of new things and new environment. Um, and yeah it's a lot of foreign things uh, that I had to get comfortable with but, um, Ex-
1: explain that every you went through new emotions you never thought you had explain that
2: yeah I mean essentially my whole life context changed I was living in Europe mm. had to find my feet in Europe and I was trying to learn a new sport because essentially I came in so late that uh, I hadn't even raced at a semi-professional level let alone in the world tour so there was a lot to get used to Um, But I just had to relax and and talk each day as it came. But also making sure that I was switched on every day and absorbing as much as I could from whether that be like the actual race days um, and down to the tactics and everything, but also just from my teammates, just learning off them, seeing Mm. how they they move around, the way they function on and off the bike. Felt like I uh, never turned my brain off all year. I was just constantly looking at stuff around me. (laughs) I'm back in Australia now. I've been back for two months or a month and a half. Pretty, raring to go to, uh, pretty excited to go back over.
1: What was that like then when you came at the different points during the year? And just when you said that then, I'm back in Australia now, maybe take it back from that first part. When you first came back to Australia, was it nice to finally come home and just sort of release that valve? that That's, you know, like you said, you were concentrating, you were thinking about this, you were trying to absorb this, you were maybe getting in trouble there, then you were trying to improve this. Finally, when you came back to Australia, did would feel like, I'm home, I can just relax for a
2: little bit. Was that the feeling at the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, a pretty easy way to put it. It was like I'd just come home from a, I don't know, 14-hour shift and you've sat down on the couch and taken your shoes off. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, and life's pretty easy at home. I'm back with the folks. Yeah, back with family and friends. It's pretty comfortable living in uh, in Camberwell, It's Yeah, it's pretty easy. Mm. And uh, yeah, I've just been catching up with mates seeing family and friends and starting to get uh, into some more serious training now. Life's pretty simple when you're living back at home and the fridge restocks by itself. What was That's that? Tough. Did you have any of those points
1: during the year as well? Like there was the end of the season release, but there are points during the, the middle of the year and points where you just went, whether it was the, the right time or not to have a, I'm not going to say a breakdown, but a point where you went, I just need to just check out for a minute. Were there moments during the year where you just went, I need to check out for a minute here because I'm starting to get overwhelmed or was you able to keep on top of things?
2: Yeah, it was It was pretty full on and I didn't really know where my limit was and I just kept going. Mm. Um, I know in the middle of the year, if you're not doing the tour, you kind of have a little break in the middle in July mm. and I knew that I had, I'd race the tour of Norway and went straight to the Dauphiné and then did uh, what's the route to Sud. So it was kind of a big race block.
1: And all hard races too. And yeah. like... Dauphiné, Libre is a very... For people out there who don't know, this is is actually a well-seasoned pros race because the Tour de France is around the corner. So most of the people, 90% of the riders, are trying to get in the Tour de France team if they haven't already been selected, are in that kind of form. And if they're not, they're there. They're very experienced pros doing a very hard race. To be thrown in that as a neo-pro and also as a real novice to the sport as well that would have been you know a huge race how was that experience in that race
2: yeah i mean it was pretty full-on uh there's everything i mean obviously the companies the pelotons are really high standard. yeah the parkour is really difficult <laughs> yeah but i think the, the most difficult thing about that race this uh, this year was the weather yeah uh, it was freezing cold most days and uh some of the most crazy conditions i've ever ridden in oh. were, we're going up a few climbs and down the down the descents, so it was a pretty full on week. Hmm. Um, I'm glad I didn't know what I was signing up for before the races. Yeah, but yeah, when I got back after that that like three stage race block, and then I finally got back to my apartment in Girona and was told to have a full week off. It was a similar thing to coming back to Australia. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, I was pr- I was proud of myself getting through it all and uh, yeah, experiencing it all and absorbing it. Um, But at the same time, I was like, far out. That was definitely the most crazy month of my life. Totally, like, and I think, like, and to give everyone an
1: example, like, James, he raced 66 race days this year. I had to look up before, just to double check how many days you did. I only did 70 myself. You know, only four more days than you. And this season was my 12th year professional. So there's not a lot different. You took on a massive load for a young guy. How did that feel, and did you imagine
2: that amount of racing or did it just feel sort of somewhat normal you just took it on well everything was new so I didn't really have a standard so Mm. whether I did 90 days or 20 days it just would have been like okay well that's that's what it is I didn't think I'd get through the full season to be honest Mm. Uh, what what did you think would happen well when I was uh, I don't know I thought I'd just get pretty worn out to be honest yeah okay pretty like overwhelmed by the stress and everything of I don't know the racing and just uh, the lifestyle living on your own yeah pretty full on yeah, so like looking back at it, uh, I'm pretty happy to get through a full season. That was, uh, in my opinion, the most important thing. Totally. Because like, the worst thing that could have happened was, would be to like, crash out in April or something and then that was it. Because um, the thing that I need is experience. To come back to Australia and have that box ticked is uh, pretty good. And also just to, as stressful as it was, um, I really enjoyed myself. And I mean, cause when I signed up last year uh, with EF, I didn't really know what I was signing up for. I hadn't <laughs> lived the space yet. So I didn't even know whether I was, was going to enjoy it cause I hadn't done it before, like living in Europe and everything. So it's pretty daunting, but it's pretty nice also to come back and be like, okay, yeah, I actually really enjoy this. I feel like a bike rider now. Yeah, nice. Um,
1: because to give everyone a bit of background and let's, let's rewind right back before you're even a pro. And even before you are a writer. So give everyone a little bit of a background, where you've come from and how you've been able to rise through the ranks so quickly to World Tour, because this is a very uncommon thing for someone like you to do. To give everyone a little bit, an idea of how big a leap that was this year to be in the World Tour, exactly like, you know, just to understand that context. It's even a big leap for a guy who's been riding for 10 years, finally makes that leap to the World Tour, it's a big step, but for you... Where have you come from?
2: Yeah, I mean, to put it pretty simply, I was a, a runner up until 2016, um, racing like domestically in Australia, mm. um, kind of going from the junior ranks to the senior ranks, and then uh, got a bit of an Achilles injury and couldn't train the way I needed to to be the runner I wanted to be. So I uh, called it a bit of an early retirement on running, and then in... How old were you then? So I would have been 19. Okay. Um, and then summer of 2016 uh, started racing local crits and then did the nationals road race in 2017 um, and then raced domestically in, uh, throughout that year and then I was able to fall in love with the sport, make new mates and uh, was able to uh, get some opportunities racing the Herald Sun Tour in and uh, in the start of 2018 with the Australian team So this is your third year ever riding a bike? Yeah Yeah and then uh, with that, uh, a good Sun Tour and a good Nationals, I was able to then race for the national team over the um, European summer. And so that was uh, some of the one-day races earlier on in the year. And then also uh, the Labanier, um Tour, tour de like, Labanier, yeah. which is
1: which is the mini Tour de France. And
2: yeah. a lot of people are looking at that race for the new talent coming through. Yeah. So I consider myself really lucky just to get the opportunity to race for the national team, given... I'd only really raced at that high domestic level for a few months. Mm. And then it just so happened to be that my first European bike race was Tour of Flanders, <laughs> which I was able to win, yeah, which was... Under 23 Tour of Flanders, yeah. yeah. Which at the time I didn't realize how much that would change my life. <laughs> um, and so and then with that, I was then able to make the jump to World Tour. So it was obviously really, really fast. yeah. Um, which from the outside in you think, oh, that's awesome. But at the same time, it's like there's a lot of uh development that i've missed Mm. and then i'm trying to catch up whilst experiencing the racing at this level which uh is proving to be stressful um but also it's a pretty special place to be in and i consider myself pretty lucky but um yeah and then two broken wrists last year so i didn't get to do l'avenir didn't get to do the world championships and then i essentially reset and then uh got ready for uh last year which was my first uh first season with the F and as a Neo Pro.
1: I saw you, that moment of everything catching up because like, as you explained in there were big steps and every time you got set a new challenge, you were able to get over that step and move on to the next step. There was nothing, from what I can understand there, there were really hard challenges along the way but what's allowed you to be in the world tour now after four years riding a bike was you were able to overcome those challenges and one of the small insights I got to you being a little bit out of your depth was only in tour down under last year. Yeah. And it was when we we're going down the gorge. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't not mention that. <laughs> and it wasn't because you weren't physically good enough. And I don't think that's ever been a problem. And I think that's a, something that I think a lot of people underestimate is, and I even forget about it myself, riding a bike for so long, you forget what you pick up all, after all those years and what you're able to do without even thinking about it. As we were going down the gorge, and if anyone knows this, it's just going into the corkscrew. We're probably doing 100k an hour down there. And yeah. you're just thinking like you're only doing 30 kilometres an hour, and you're just positioning. That's the way I think. I've just got to move him there. I've got to move that guy there. And <laughs> you had quite an important job that day to help Woodsy over the climb. I remember coming out of that last corner thinking, where's bloody Jimmy? Like, it's his job. I've just got Woodsy into the climb. And then I just had a moment to think about what actually just happened. We're going down this descent at hundred K an hour guys going left, right and center. And I was like, maybe that was just a little bit of a step too far on the bike positioning side of things. What was that
2: like? That was a massive eye opener. Yeah. Um, and, and as you said, I was in the, I had the legs to be really valuable up that corkscrew. And so I had the opportunity to be really valuable to the team, but that was, a very very stressful like 10 minutes going down the gorge road and just seeing how relaxed everyone else was well like they're just used to it and then seeing like i was kind of almost like looking at myself being like i'm so uh, like out of my depth here and it was and it was really frightening to be honest yeah i've never been uh, in a situation like that like it wasn't like some guys where they were just like all right once we get to the corner of the corkscrew we can just Chuck in the little ring, and we'll, we'll see tomorrow's stage. I had, a, I had a role to do. Yeah. And uh, our, our DS, Tom Southern, uh, gave me the benefit of the doubt and thought that I could do it. And I failed to do it. And so, yeah, it was stressful. Um, but I also need, needed that as well.
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Elizabeth. Say, I don't think anyone ever cast any judgment on you for that moment because we all knew the reasons behind it. And what I loved about that was I haven't raced for you since that race, actually. Oh, since, well, the Australian summer last year. So from what I've heard around, there's been a massive progression this year. And what I wanted to speak to you about now was that was right back in January. What's happened over the year is you came through each race and you're able to take on things like the Gorge and apply it to the next race and take on, by the time you came to a race like Brunson Pell and Flesh, you were doing things, from what I hear, you were doing things that were another step up run me through what happened throughout the season when you were able to apply that stuff that you learned from each race
2: yeah i mean with one of my biggest learning points was uae tour as well learning how to ride crosswinds and in a big group yeah i found myself with each race i would just be getting better and better at positioning i mean there'll be some races where i'd stuff it up again and i would be quite frustrated i think it's okay to make mistakes but if you make the same mistakes again then you kind of got to look at yourself a little bit critically Mm. There's no excuses. You're a paid bike rider and you've got to, like, do your job. Um, but, yeah, I had a few good rides. Yeah, my, my best ride was uh, probably Brabant's Peel with positioning and stuff. Yeah, I actually had, uh, I don't know how to put it, but actually the balls to be right at the front and right, and kind of throwing my weight around a little bit. Mm. Um, how did that feel? Were you like, I'm getting this? Yeah. I'm actually getting this thing? Yeah, that that day was really important for me because it, it made me realize that it wasn't like a a skill set per se that I didn't have, but more just a mental switch uh, that, yeah, that
1: like bulldog attitude. Um, and it's easier said than done. You made it sound so easy that someone just has to go, oh, I just got to get the balls and do it. But yeah. look, I'm still, I am still still struggle with that at times too, you know, coming into different segments and sprints and whatever. I have to
2: also get past that every single race. So yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And just learning to relax. Yeah. Yeah. And being like thinking out, and also just appreciating what I was doing as well. Thinking how cool it is what I'm doing right now. And also having Clarky yelling at me from behind to do this and that. It gets easy. I don't have to think. <laughs> yeah, it does help with someone giving you the yeah. experience.
1: Yeah. So, moving on to this year then. What have you been able to take on from the whole season? And now, how are you thinking towards this season about what you want to apply to this year? What, you, what have you learned from the season and what are you going to apply to this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, last year, the team didn't have any expectations of me per se. They understood how green I was and they just said I needed to experience what, uh, what it was like to be a new pro in the world tour. Um, but this year, I'm no longer the new guy. I've got a bit more responsibility. At least I think that. Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, this is, uh, I'm pretty excited to be competitive at the, the final of bike races. And also, I'm just excited to see things again. Uh, to be going back to bike races that I've done before will be like, it, it'll be more, I'll be more relaxed going into it and understanding the space will be exciting. Um, and also just to compare how much I've improved like, so, you know, Obviously, the racing side of things, you're not going to be in the dark now when you go
1: to a race like Flesh yep. or, you know, even Copper Bar, Bartle- yep. or races like this, if you do them again. Yep. And I want to touch on that, too, in a minute about your race program. But what about outside the racing? What are some things that you may have learned with training or where are you at now in comparison to where you were at this time last year? You're just purely mentality. I know you had a bit of a different goals, but... I remember I was talking to you a couple of days ago and you were telling me about how you've been able to build a, a, a bit different foundation coming into this season. I think that's got a lot to do with the mentality as well, apart from the goals or the program that's set. I
2: mean, my build up to this year compared to last year is completely different. Uh, essentially, my season starts a, a month later. I've actually been able to do a proper base phase and to prioritize my European season, which I didn't really see as valuable at all last year um and I came in so red hot I was super fit in December I was probably like the fittest world tour rider in December but I never saw that form again physically throughout Mm. the year like when I head back overseas next year uh, well this year um I'm pretty excited just to already have all my clothes in uh my place and essentially uh have my setup here over there Mm. makes life a lot easier And also just uh, being in a familiar bed and everything. Take me back to then your thoughts.
1: So I remember riding with you last year in December or year before in December, whatever it was. Yeah. And we're just doing a recon of Sun Tour, And I nicknamed you Jimmy Half Wheelan back then because we were doing an easy ride. But you couldn't quite grab the concept of just because you were just eager, keen, and easy for you at that point was way too hard for me. Have, has there been a bit of a, a thought process when you look back at yourself 12 months ago and go, I get it now. I sort of get what I needed to be doing last year. Or are you pretty content with what you were doing last year?
2: I'm not critical of what I did last year. I think uh, first year in the world tour, you know, you're coming up to your first race with the team. yeah, You'd be concerned if I didn't. Like I, yeah, you'd be concerned if I wasn't going in like that, yeah, yeah, I came in super hot, and I wouldn't change that at all mm-hmm. um, but obviously, one thing that I learned the hard way is that you can only have the light on for so long, mm. and uh yeah, you can't mentally it's uh and physically it's pretty difficult to be running so hot in November all the way through to October the next year, yeah, um, and now that I've had a year of a full season. I can now properly understand the mental and physical load associated with the Mm. the World Tour calendar on and off the bike Mm. and understanding that, you know, you only have so many pickies and you can't, uh, yeah, you can't be uh, going too full gas in December. Um, Mm. And luckily the team's given me the opportunity to slow things down a bit um, right now where I can do a proper base training and start my my season a bit later, which means I miss out on... uh, some of the Aussie stuff, but at the same time, it means that I can uh, properly approach the 2020 season the way a European bike rider would, and hopefully that sees me uh, in, in good stead for March, April, and so forth. Totally using yep. your bullets where you want to use them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, let's talk about that now because I guess some people are wondering how does how does a someone's program come about you know do we get to just choose our program and go you know I want to do the Giro and the Tour and Roubaix and every big race on the calendar or how does it all work so I guess explain what happened to you after last year you got a bit of experience around different races were you able then to speak to our head directors Charlie Wigelius were you able then to give some feedback to him about what races you want to do or did he
2: just decide for you how did it come about this year's 2020 program for you yeah, I mean, uh, obviously Charlie Regalius is our like race director, and we've also got our uh, sports directors as well. And so my sports director is Tom Southern. I've caught up with him a fair bit over the last few months, and we've talked about my season, talked about what type of bike rider I think, um, think I am. And or- did that?
1: Sorry, to interrupt. Did that change from last year before you started riding in Europe? you thought maybe you are going to be this rider and after a season you're like, oh, I might, maybe I'm a bit more this rider.
2: Has that changed or...? Yeah, I think um, at first, you don't really know what type of bike rider you are until you properly ride at that level. You think you're good at something, but there's actually people that are way better at it than you. But um, I'm more of a punchy climber than I thought I'd be. Hmm. I thought I'd be... Um, long climber. Long climber, ah. yeah. Um, Do you compare yourself to, say, Mike Woods? Yeah, I mean, I think Mike Woods is probably... A, a, bit more anaerobic perhaps. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I think uh, my role within the team is uh, being a team player right now, as mm-hmm. opposed to going up climb super fast. But, um, yeah, I'm still working it out what type of rider I am, to be honest. Yeah, and um, it continues to happen throughout your whole
1: career, yeah, I have yeah. to admit. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, you see riders change and they can be like a 12-year pro and all of a sudden they're, they're a different type of rider. Yeah. Um, and I guess it depends on what training you're doing and whatnot, and yeah
1: so were you able to converse then with Tom and was he able to help you work it out and was he a good sounding board that you hoped he was feeding
2: back to Charlie or how did it work yeah so Tom I called, I went on two rides with Tom and uh, we had chats over, over whatsapp and what not yeah um, yeah just about the year and what my goals were for the following year and what my calendar could look like and that uh, he'd have a chat to Charlie um, but yeah. I mean basically he's like the the messenger to Charlie and yeah he's and he's a good ear. He's uh he's helped me a lot this year. Yeah, and then obviously we Charlie and the performance team sit down, they work out like obviously you have the main riders um and then they work out what team is best for that race. Um and then from that they'll give you the call and say, "All right, this is this is the plan for 2020." Mm. Um but I mean the nature of the sport is uh you have your program, but it could change all the time. Yeah.
1: Let's touch on now some stuff, some general 2020 stuff now. What did then, you think of the release of Jean Movisma already? I've
2: never seen that happen before, that yeah. the Tour de France team, the whole team has been released already. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit bizarre. It's strange to see, uh, but it's also cool. Gets people thinking.
1: I've got the team <laughs> here. It's ridiculous. Tom Dumoulin, Steven Kruijswijk, and you know Primoz Roglic, who... Those three guys themselves, you know, Tom and Primoz have won Grand Tours. Kreuzberg, as you know, almost won the Giro there too. Yeah. Then they've got the rest of them. You've got Tony Martin, just to ride the front and just be an absolute unstoppable yeah. force. Walt Van Aert, who is an unstoppable force himself. Seb Kuss, Robert Gersink, and Lawrence De Plus. So it's a massive team already. And like you already mentioned with your own program, a lot can happen before then. But I sort of like that they've given those guys the confidence because I don't really I've never had this happen in even any of the teams that I'm in that a whole squad knows they're going to tour and the team's given that amount of confidence to go benchmark that be ready we want you there you're in the squad they've never they haven't put that like maybe if you're good enough maybe you know tactic mm. in there they're like no nah, yep. we want you there what do you think about that would you like that to be for you for you know certain races
2: yeah, I mean it'd be, I mean it's it's cool to see teams making it so public. I think it's good for the sport and gets people talking about uh, the races before they even happen, and then it gets other teams thinking as well. Um, and it also gets the fans excited for the races coming up. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean the nature of the sport just a lot of names change for races at uh, the last minute, so. But for a race like the uh, the Tour de France, I guess you can do a public release like that because, uh, it, yeah, you can't put such an importance on it. And That's right.
1: What do you think about with Ineos then? Who's going to lead this team? Three Tour de France previous winners are going to, probably going to be on the start line. You've got Chris Froome, Geraint Thomas, and last year's winner, yep. Egan Bernal. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic, dynamic there. And You know, they've almost got too much power
2: you know what I mean it's yeah. like are they going to be able to work together what do you think about that well it looks pretty similar to the trio with Yambo Visma as well um but I guess the biggest question that everyone seems to be talking about is um for me getting back to uh the writer he well he can be mm. um and then do they assume that they that he can be uh the writer he was and yeah it's it's, it's pretty hard to say in I guess uh Things will start to piece together as the race the racing goes on. Important to get off with the right foot. Mm. When you look at Quick Step, they just like they bounce off each other, they feed each other. Like success, pretty really success.
1: I wanna go back and talk to you about a couple of little things. Were there any riders this year that you know, you imagine, I remember talking to you last year in Tour Down or in Adelaide. And I said, you know, who are your, who is your inspiration? Who are the guys you looked up to? Now being in the peloton and the guys you're riding around and guys that you maybe didn't even know about or guys you thought were a different person, now that you've been side by side, who are the guys you really respect now and, and maybe look up to and think, you know what, I really like what he does. I want to sort of build myself around that sort of rider or that type of rider. Who do you really respect
2: after this season? Yeah, I mean, obviously I spend a lot of time with teammates, so um, obviously I've got a lot of respect for a lot of guys within the team now. But outside of the team, it's... Um, who in the team then? Well, obviously Mike Woods. Um, is that pretty, because of the running background? or is Well, that- initially, obviously, we got that connection. Um, but it's more so just because he came into the late in... Uh, pretty different circumstance. he came into the sport under pretty d- different circumstances and came in quite late and had to make that jump and learn quickly. Hmm. So he's been a good person to to check in with with regards to like how how did you learn how to do this so quick. Um, Give me an example. Did uh, you actually say that to him? Yeah, yeah, well, for example, uh, obviously, I was wasting a lot of energy in bike races going down a hill because I wasn't as quick as everyone else, didn't have the technical skills and then he told me that he got a descending coach oh um and then he was able to link up through the team for the team to organize for me to get a descending coach and it was the same person did you get one yeah so uh in girona i was able to what did they what did they teach you what did he teach you or he (laughs) I had a few sessions uh initially it was just around car parks learning like the limit of the tyre and how hard you can actually take a corner did you find the limit yeah yeah, yeah. did was, you go over the limit yeah yeah, went over the limit did you <laughs> well you kind of have to go over to work it out <laughs> did you hit the deck yeah yeah slid out <laughs> um, and nice and then it's also just uh, yeah on a few cents and then in the following session um, I mean the car park just to go back to the car park uh, we'd have cone work so it was almost like uh, being back in the soccer days when I was a 13 year old like dribbling a soccer ball through cones, but I had a bike between my legs instead of a soccer ball. Um, so that was cool. Cool. Um, and just learning how to sit on the bike properly and actually do the right balance and have your weight on your saddle instead of, you know, being too far forward or yeah, Ooh. just small things. Who was this guy? Was he, what's his background? So he's a former World Cup mountain biker. Oh ah, right. And he lives just out of Barcelona. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so that was really good and then he also, uh, the following sessions he was, he took me to a few climbs, uh, the Hincapie climb on uh, near, on the other side of Los Angeles. Yep. And, near uh, Casa de la Selva, yeah, yeah, it's quite a,
1: did you go down to the other side? It's quite a technical yeah, descent yeah, yeah. actually.
2: It's not a very fast descent but it's very right. technical. Yeah, it's pretty windy and um, it's quiet as well so, was able to like take the apexes a few times but yeah if you look at my strava there's this one ride where i'm just going up and down this like tiny little section a hundred times and <laughs> did it for about two and a half hours really um, and did you nail it yeah i mean if if i was to race someone down a descent i would choose that road because <laughs> 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 yeah obviously i know all the corners now but um
1: yeah, are so- you noticing are you actually noticing it now even when i training because racing's another thing too, because they really do go walk straight down the descents, but are you noticing in our training that you're moving down the descents
2: easier, more comfortable? Yeah, I mean, obviously I was always on foreign roads uh, over in Europe, but now that I've come back here and I'm doing climbs that I've done before and going down descents, it's, I feel a lot more comfortable on the bike. And it's nice to compare um, what I thought was like sketchy. Now it's just like I'm a lot more relaxed. Mm. Um, I used to find all sense like a little bit daunting, but now it's just like you just do it and you mm. go a lot faster. You don't think about moving your bike around. It just happens. Mm. So it's been nice to come back home and just see that improvement.
1: And that's investing in yourself. like, And I think that's a, an important thing that a lot of guys take a long time to really work out is that, hang on, I need to quickly learn this stuff fast. And <laughs> yep. you've, you've realized that early on that, I've got to invest in myself. It's not going to just happen. Someone's not going to organize it for me. I've got to go out and do it. I've got to speak to Woodsy. I've got to organize yep. that. Is there anything else that's been
2: something like that? Yeah. I mean, uh, Woodsy was saying that the best thing he did was get a gravel bike. Um, so, he had the Cannondale Slate and I got uh, one of the Super Xs. And so, I've been doing a lot of my recovery rides on trails out near the Cuba bullified hmm. and trying to move the bike around the way I haven't before. Because essentially, I've got a I've got to learn how to be relaxed just moving the bike around like crazy in the races. And that's what I don't... And that's the skill that I don't have. So, the the better I can improve that skill, the more relaxed I'll be on the bike, which means I'll spend less energy worrying about stuff that's unnecessary. Um, and then I've also been doing some track stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, down at disc. So racing? Done, I wouldn't call it racing. I've been doing their training. Huh? So, they've got the state guys there... Um, yeah i mean it was just uh, my director tom southern he thought it was a good idea and you look at the truck guys uh they all know how to ride bikes really well in the peloton so obviously there's something there to learn
1: was that hard um, in the beginning to ride around the track yeah
2: yeah yeah was it yeah it was well it's really steep the disc velodrome yeah um what did you find hard about it just the, the actual steepness, just the, the angle of the track it's, yeah. it's completely unnatural yeah. and I haven't felt that before <laughs> and then once we actually like, and also just uh, remembering to keep pedaling all the time um, <laughs> did you crash there? nah no crashes <laughs> touch wood the feel of a track bike and like the g-force you get when you're going proper quick it's exciting um, but yeah just uh, learning how to handle a new bike it's mm. just good for the confidence um, and hopefully that'll like all these small things um, will add up to being more relaxed on the bike and just being a more complete bike rider mm. so that I can just worry about actually racing and not and using your
1: physical ability and yep. not using all your like I I remember talking to you about in Down Under it was like get to the bottom of longer it's a I don't even know how long it is how long is that climb in time? five minutes if let's not. just say it's a five yep. minute climb it's a five yep. minute climb and I can imagine you were thinking I can probably do those you know watts for five minutes yep. but it's everything leading into that five minutes and yep. I think I remember talking to a teammate the year before about it and it was like, he couldn't understand why he just couldn't perform up the climb. He can do those watts in training. It's like, yep. dude, that's why Richie Port, Darren Olympia, these guys are the best in the world because they get to the bottom of that climb, relaxed, fresh, exactly the same as like they are in training. They're doing that in the race because mm. they're able to handle all that stuff in the race. And you've started to put those footsteps together now yeah. to make
2: that happen. It's the biggest learning curve in the World Tour is that you can, you can rock up to a, a race in the, in the form of your life or absolutely creeping, but the biggest thing that'll determine your finishing position is whether you're in the right position. I mean, like a, uh, the Canadian races that I did in Montreal, Quebec, uh, going up the climb on the third last lap, which is where it all split up. I was in bad position. Charlie uh, was yelling at me over the radio to move up. It was already too late, it was all strung out. And I was on good legs and finish the race when everyone else with me didn't and i tried to do the climb full gas and uh yeah like my watts per kilo would have been the same as the guys in the front but i was two minutes down just because i was out of position mm. there's countless times throughout the year where i've just been like frustrated at myself because i was out of position um but more just disappointed for my teammates because I wasn't able to help them when I should have.
1: And it's it's so difficult because you just like you can't do anything about it. You can't like you said once that once it happens, hmm. like you said, you had the legs and you were doing as good a watts as the guy in front. You were probably passing a hundred guys, but unfortunately the race was gone, and you're just like you
2: feel you feel so bad because you're like oh, yeah. I actually yeah. buggered that up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel incredibly stupid. Yeah. um but now that I've come back here, you just have to strip it back. How can I improve that? You mm. do this, this, this. There's a lot of things to learn from it, and a lot of things to do to try and improve from it. So,
1: mm. what's your goal for 2020?
2: My goal for 2020 is to be able to do a review at the end of the year and say I'm a much better bike rider than I was last year, and that I was racing bike uh, that I was racing uh, my bike as opposed to like learning on it. And I just want to be competitive at the end of big bike races. Have you got any quantifiable sort of parameters for that? Uh, parameters. Well, oh. right now I know I'm doing the Dolph- Dauphiné again, and I uh, I want to be be good for that. You know, to see like a yeah a top twenty or something. You know. Yeah, I want to I want to put like the that. crunch
1: on you and, yeah. and make you put something yeah, out there yeah. because I know this myself that how much goal setting really does and i remember writing some stuff down in my diary 10 years ago someone told me to do it and i thought this stuff's bullshit you know it's not gonna matter yeah yeah. three race wins down yeah and i thought you know what i'm never gonna do that but if it's just gonna shut this guy up i will and all of a sudden i had two race wins that year and i was just like what the hell what the hell just happened so what i was trying to do is like all right put something out there you know it might be just like bigger than ben hur but yeah, you never know what will happen.
2: Yeah, but even just um like obviously, uh, my first half of the season, I have the opportunity to race my bike in the smaller races, and I want to be going well enough that the team's like, oh shit, Jimmy's going going well now, and then I get a call up to do another race that's a bigger one. Mm. It's like a compliment, I guess. Um, so, I mean, with, with the nature of the sport, people always. Uh, can't do the race and then they're looking for someone else it'd be cool to be that person without like you know is valuable um but yeah nice all right well then what
1: about your overall ambition goal with cycling you've come in now you've experienced it for a year you've got probably your hands on what this world's going to be like you know what you want to do next year what's your whole ambition for your career as a cyclist if you can look ahead 10 years and still be riding in 10 years is that something you want to do ride for 10 more years or you want to just ride the tour de france or now what, what are you
2: thinking now now you've sort of got your head around it it's a good question and something that people don't usually ask as well like because there's some bike riders i mean this time last year i as i said i didn't know what i'd signed up for so i couldn't one yeah set goals because i didn't know what the racing was and i didn't know the standard and two i didn't know whether i even wanted to do this in the long term but it was an opportunity, a once in a lifetime opportunity. But now that I've had the year that I had, I can look back at it and be like, All right, I want to be doing this for as long as possible. Because mm-hmm. there are some, some riders where they, they have their first, like Australian riders, that have their first Neo Pro season and they're like, this is really, really difficult. I don't think I can justify doing this for another X amount of years. Um, but I'm fortunate enough to be in a space where I'm like, I'm proud to be doing what I'm doing yeah. um, and to be like quite obsessed about it. Um, in a good way in a good way yeah. I think you know people always yeah say obsessions are bad but I think in order to do this properly you have to be you have to be obsessed you have to be like addicted to everything yeah like, it's, it's the life now and it's daunting like last year not knowing whether I, I liked it but um, yeah I'd love to be doing this for as long as possible mm. um, I think uh, it's a pretty incredible opportunity you get to and it's also just incredibly satisfying mm um obviously being a runner i never had that team as- aspect mm. so to like share yeah. results with people whether that be riders or staff and also just being a good team yeah it's um yeah yeah
1: nice it's, it's different and it's exactly, like i agree 100 yeah. percent with you it's it's an individual thing because you get that satisfaction when you're out yeah. training on your own and you're doing all these stuff you're so happy when you get home you achieve that training yet you get to the race you're able to apply that to a team environment
2: and that's even another yeah. form of satisfaction yeah. so it just makes you feel incredibly alive whether that be for a good reason or a bad reason it's, it makes you you're on your toes mm. and um, yeah I mean life life is, can, is always back on pause here it's, you know I'm lucky I've got family and friends and, and agree to fall back on but um, yeah that can that can be in the backseat for hopefully as long as possible
1: Great, mate. Well, you've set it up for a big year, and I'm I'm looking forward to racing with you this year, hopefully a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so, mate, thanks very much for being on the pod and previewing the season for you and for everyone. Yeah, cheers. Thanks.
0: well Mitch you're off to a flyer that was a really engaging conversation with Jimmy Whelan I, I feel like I can call him Jimmy now not just James I feel like I've got to know him a little bit through your conversation as well
1: you can refer to him as James Jimmy or I as I prefer Jimmy Half Wheelan, because he does like to have that half wheel in front of you
0: that was one of the things I took out of the conversation Mitch and I, I did actually go back and listen to a little bit of your original conversation with Jimmy, when he was a fresh out of the box Neo Pro a year ago and there was quite a contrast I felt between the two um, I won't go as far as to say that a, a, a year in the pro ranks has, uh, uh, has, has worn him down so too much but definitely the realities of the job of a professional cyclist um you, you know something that he would probably have imagined before stepping into the pro ranks it, it, i got the sense that he's well aware of what the job actually entails now look i think in a way
1: it's humbled him and i think not just him but i think this happens a lot with a lot of professionals myself included and that's what i really was interested in talking to james about was what has he learnt and how is he going to use what he's learnt For the next season and that's what i loved hearing about in this podcast was he's taken all that on board and he's going to go forward and use everything he's learned and hopefully become because physically he's already a professional but he's just got to mesh those two things together so i'm really excited to see what's going to happen this year and it was great to hear it out of his words out of his mouth today about what's going to happen
0: I also got a feeling that there was a sort of almost like a mentoring relationship between you and Jimmy because obviously you're, you know, the experienced pro, 12 years in the ranks and he, he's just coming into into it and, you know, learning from, um, you know, what not just... The job of trying to win bike races uh, as an individual—I thought that—that that was one little line that really stood out. You know, hi, hi, realizing the importance and the emphasis that put on being a being a team player, especially when you're a young rider. And I went back and had a look at his race program from 2019, and just sort of saw the realities of um, being a a, a neo pro kind of writ large in black and white. You know, the schedule in the second half of the season was. Um, tour of Utah and then eight or nine days later he's back in Europe to do the Deutschland tour in Germany and then 10 days after that he's back over in Canada to do the the two world tour races and then seven days after that he's back in Europe doing a couple of Italian races and that sense of you know the 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 pro season is never done until it's done is it
1: exactly right and by no means do I know everything in professional cycling's by a long way but all I want to do is if I can just provide some kind of help or some some information that I've learned along the way to help someone along their way too because that's what happened with me. Older guys were able to give me that little insight and if I can give anyone a little insight that's going to help them bypass some of those struggles, that's all I'm trying to do and I, I hope that um, James was able to take on some kind of advice that I was able to give him. I'm not too sure but... I get the feeling it was a it was a really constructive conversation for both of us and i always learn a lot out of all of my podcasts and even again from james in in this one
0: well that's the first podcast of 2020 the first episode of life in the peloton uh that's a wrap for this one but you'll be back in a couple of weeks mitch with another episode of life in the peloton and i'm looking forward to hearing from you who that's going to be
1: Yes, we've been able to get some recordings here at Tour Down Under. So there's a couple good ones there in the bank. And I've just got to work out who's going to be our next guest on Life in the Peloton. So hang in there. We've got some good ones coming in along the way.
0: Well, let's wrap up there, Mitch. Um... I'd like to say a big welcome to everybody from the Life in the Peloton family. I like the way you describe the cycling podcast as a family. So I'm going to describe the Life in the Peloton crew as a family too. Welcome along. Um, check out some of our other podcasts on the on the feed. We talk about professional cycling. We cover the Grand Tours um, and there's various other shows that we do as well delighted to have life in the peloton as part of the stable and for cycling podcast listeners if you want to follow Mitch's adventures on instagram the instagram handle is life in the peloton couldn't be simpler so until next time thank you very much Mitch
1: thanks Lionel